0: Right. Evening, everyone. hope you guys are doing well. So uh, we um, had the privilege to go through to Kharavu this morning and uh, to go and spend time with that congregation. And uh, some of the guys went with us. Uh, Jandre went uh, and uh, Linda was there. Pauline was there. uh, Jill came through. Hannes and Ingrid, they were there as well. And it was just a wonderful time to have connected with that congregation. So who doesn't know that we're starting fast on Tuesday? Everyone? Most of you guys know? All right. So for the guys that weren't at community on Wednesday night, so just as as we've been praying and we've really been seeking the Lord, we've really just felt that there is a season that we need to fast as a congregation. So what that means is that we want to fast from a Tuesday night after dinner, All right, if you really want to push it, you can push dinner till 11.45 if you want. All right, and then uh, have dinner. And then after that, fast right through until dinner on Wednesday evening. All right, so there's a whole bunch of stuff that we'll send out on the community groups of what we're trusting the Lord for. We're really trusting for unity for us as a congregation. We're trusting that God will come and that He will work in us and work through us, that He will bring salvations into our congregation. And that he will bring breakthrough in people's lives. And uh, so I really want to encourage you guys to to stick with it. Uh, We're most probably going to be fasting one day a week for the next foreseeable future. We're not sure how long God says to us until it ends. So some of us might become a little bit thinner, which, uh, eh? yeah, prayer and fasting. So what will happen is on Wednesday evenings, the communities, if you haven't chatted with your community leader you guys will come together, you'll pray together, and then you'll break fast together before you have community. Um, so that's what we trust in the Lord for, that God is going to really just come and move amongst us. So so while I've been preparing and even the worship songs went about a whole bunch of stuff, I've just, over the past week, I've really just been feeling like, what, Lord, what do you want to speak to us about? And, and I really felt the book of James. So um, For guys that joined us last year, I preached through the book of Philippians and uh, about a church plant. And and tonight I want to start with the book of James. So I want to give you guys a little bit of my introduction says faith plus action. And uh, last week I preached about how do you spell faith? There we go. Risk. All right. So faith means risking. Stepping out and doing something that you've never done before. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to take our faith and I want to add works to it. What does it mean? What does it, what does it mean to do works? But let's do our introduction and let's see where we go. So who's James? James is this guy in the Bible who wrote a book. Most of us have read the book of James. Who's, who's read the book of James before? Right? Some of us, Right? And uh, we've read this and we think it's a really cool book. But who was this guy? This guy, James, was actually the half-brother of Jesus. Imagine you could walk around and introduce yourself. So, so Nolan's, I'm meeting Nolan for the first time. And how's it, Nolan? My name is James. I'm the brother of Jesus. Imagine most of us would introduce ourselves like that. Like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I've got it, you know. But, but James isn't like that. He comes in and he introduces himself in a very different way. But the Bible says that he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he led the church at a really horrible time. So what did he do? When he was leading the church, basically there was persecution that broke out into the church. So he had a church of, let's say maybe, well, the Bible says that when the day of Pentecost came and Paul and Peter preached, they were over 3,000. So that was quite a big church. And then when persecution broke out, the Emperor Nero, especially Nero at that time, he really enjoyed making light poles out of Christians. He used them for lights. And there was a whole bunch of other um, Caesars as well that did a lot of horrible things to the Christians. But in that time, there was a persecution that broke out in Jerusalem and the church scattered. So 3,000 members of a church, he most probably went from 3,000 members to about 10 in one day when everyone fled and they ran for their lives because they were being persecuted. And so he's the leader of the church and, and the Bible, and, and it's, it's kind of, it's not the Bible, but it's, it's like church history and, and what people have done, studies have said that he was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and then when he survived, They beat him to death with clubs. It's the same pinnacle right at the top where Satan took Jesus, and he said to him that if you throw yourself down from here, the angels will make sure that you don't even bump your toe. It's the same place. And this James, as the leader of the church, got killed because of what he believed, because he wasn't willing to give up his faith. So James was Jesus' younger brother. And I think most fights wasn't really always fair. Because imagine James ran to Mary and said, Mom, Jesus hurt me. She'll say, You're lying. Because Jesus never lied. Jesus was never naughty. So you could never win a fight with him. Imagine, hey, Evia? Never losing a fight with your wife, bro. Because you're always right. It would be perfect. <laughs> So in that time, so Jesus and James and his other brothers and sisters, they grow up together and they see Jesus growing. But Jesus goes and in the beginning of the scripture, I've jumped ahead of myself a little bit. And let's read James chapter one, verse one. He says, James, a servant of God, And of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. That first verse, he says, James is servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he goes and he explains a little bit about who he is. And at the moment, there's three big ideas that I want to bring across to you guys tonight. Big ideas that James actually caught. And that we as the church need to catch as well. And number one is, you've got to find God over it. You've got to find joy in it. And you've got to find wisdom through it. And in the first place, James and his brothers, it's the same thing like almost like Joseph if you look in the Old Old Testament. Like he used to see things like his brothers were gonna come and bow before him and they were gonna come and, and he, he had all these dreams and the Oaks kind of disliked him. So whom of you guys have ever disliked a family member? Brothers and sisters, you can be honest, right? We are, okay? these sometimes, like, like I loved my brother with all my heart, I really do, today I do. But when we were growing up, my brother had this horrible thing that when we were playing PlayStation, He would pinch me with his toes, and I absolutely hated it whenever he did it because he did it whenever he was losing, then he would pinch me, and I hated it, but now imagine Jesus with all of his brothers, the guys know, okay, cool, he's our brother and everything else, and so Jesus starts coming out with this when he gets older, and he says to them, hey, guys, I'm the son of God. Imagine, John-Dre, you've got brothers and sisters, don't you? What's your brother's name? Marius. Imagine Marius standing up in a family gathering and saying, guys, I am the Christ, the son of the living God. John-Dre would be like, what? Imagine that. Imagine Jesus saying that about himself and his family members getting all freaked out about it. And so what they do is, In Mark 3 verse 21, it says Jesus's family in the beginning thought that he was out of his mind. And it says in that scripture, it says that they went out to seize him for they were saying he's out of his mind. Warren, come here to me. So what does seizing mean? Is seizing, hello, Warren? No, seizing's like, Warren, are you flipping mad? Come home now. That's seizing. That's taking him by force. Who of you have ever thought your family members are mad? Sometimes I've looked at myself in the mirror and I thought I'm mad. And so imagine this scenario playing out. You're seeing this guy. And 10 to 1, when when Mary said to to Jesus that he's got to clean his room, I'm sure his brothers and sisters didn't like it. Because Jesus just went like, and it was fixed. Imagine. And then James has still got to like try and clean up and vacuum and pack his toys away. Hey, imagine that. Imagine when your mom made you Oros and your Oros was finished. And Jesus came and he was like standing with a glass of water and more Oros. Imagine how you'd feel. And a statement says that sometimes the people closest to you might not always have the best perspective of you. Because sometimes they look at you and they judge you because they think you are a certain way. And in John 7 verse 5 says that not even his brothers believed in him. And you know that James, actually that was a trial for him. I'm sure it was difficult. There was something new that he had to fight, that he had to work with. And so James went through trials in his own life, things that that was difficult. But imagine him standing there and Jesus being crucified. He knows that his brother never sinned. His brother never did anything wrong. But yet he died. He went and he cried, put him in the grave. And he thought, well, this this is it. It's done. And yet three days later, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that Jesus appeared to James first. He appeared to him first and said, hey, bro, I'm alive. I'm completely alive. And 1 Corinthians 15 verse 7, it says, Then Jesus appeared to James and then to all the other apostles. Acts 1 verse 14 says, We read here that they met together with Mary, and then his brothers were there as well. And as we read this, we see that there is a shift in James. In the way that he presents himself. So right at that moment in time, three days after Jesus died, his brothers started believing that he was the Christ. And when they believed that he was the Christ, what happened was James's heart shifted from being, "Hey, I'm James, the brother of Jesus," to "I am the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ." because he comes and he introduces himself because he realizes that being a servant is a noble task. And that scripture there states in Luke 22, verse 22 to 47, it says that, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve. So that's why J- James serves the church. You know, many of us, we sit in a, in a, in a church context and we think it's awesome for the guy to stand in the front preaching. You know that it's actually service to preach to you. Because we're actually serving to you. Nolan standing up and leading a meeting. The band coming in and actually coming early. And the guys coming and doing setting up. You know what it is? It's servanthood. It's serving in the life of the church. Just like Jesus did. And James catches a hold of that. He catches that and it becomes real And relevant in his life. So much so that he's willing to die for his own brother. Now we look at Jesus' family. An extended family. John the Baptist. He was a cool oak. He was a crazy guy. But he was an incredible guy. Imagine I took Matthew. Matthew. Matthew, come stand, stand here by me. Come here to me, Matthew. Stand this Do you guys love Matthew? He's a cool okay? Like, eh? But do you think Matthew's a bit weird? All right, let's see ours. Matthew's a bit different. Matthew's very eccentric. Matthew's very loud. Now, John the Baptist was... Ten times, Matthew. A lot more than Matthew. And John the Baptist would walk up to people and say, you oaks are a bunch of sinners. But you know what? We love Matthew. Don't we? We love Matthew. And you know what? He's part of our family because God added him to us. And because he's part of our family, We'll walk a journey for him. And you know what, guys? Just like James loved Jesus, so we love this young man. And tonight, God wants to do something in Matthew. Matthew has been through a tough time in the past couple of weeks. There's been things that God has been working in his life that has not been easy. But you know what? When we come and put our arms around him, Evia, come here for me. Come, Evia. I want you to hug this man. Because that is love when two brothers love one another. And that's how James loved Jesus. So much so, that he would die on the cross. He would actually give his own life for Jesus. And it says there in the next verse, when he starts, he carries on in verse two. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Because tonight, in this meeting, we're brothers and sisters. We're all brothers and sisters. We might not be always good-looking brothers and sisters, but we're brothers and sisters. Jandre is my brother. Hannes is my brother. Ingrid is my sister because of what Jesus did for us. Because when we become adopted into God's family, we become brothers and sisters. Flowing and working together Like God intended us. And it says there, in verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. And I'm running all ahead of my, my notes. Whom of you guys know that we live in a joyless society. We all do. There is no joy around you. Whom of you guys have ever sat in a restaurant and watched people? Okay? We watch people at restaurants. Give me a cell phone. Has anyone got a cell phone for me? Thank you. This thing, we sit on Facebook or Instagram, and people take photos of themselves, and they post it on this thing, and we look at Facebook, and we're like, Wow, they've got such an awesome life. I suck. My life is horrible. Look, they have got the most gorgeous home. Everything is just perfect. And look at my life. My life is falling apart. Is it true? Because this thing and Facebook has created a thing where you want people to see what you want them to see. Not what they need to see. Because we live in a fake generation. And so what God wants us to do is, is we need to find joy even when things are tough. Because when we become unsatisfied, nothing will satisfy. And James says to us, count it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face Many kinds of trials. What is a trial? Philip, what's that word you used? Pangs. When you have lots of pangs, yes, it sounds like piles. All right, it's like some kind of disease, pangs. All right? But trials is, is who of you guys have had a tough time this week? Anyone? All right? Who's been through a difficult thing? Who's had to make difficult decisions? When is it difficult? When is it when you go through the challenges of life? We all think that we're always gonna have smooth sailing and things are just gonna be easy. But but James writes here and he says, My brothers and sisters, laugh when it's going tough. <laughs> right? It's joy. What's joy? What, what is it? It's not. It's not the lady that cleans your house. I've got a lot of joy when Agnes comes because the house is clean. But use an example, Pauline's trusting God for, for a job. She's been for a couple of months without a job. But yet Pauline's not sitting and sulking. Yes, maybe one day or two days or three days it might have been like that. For the past couple of days, I've been seeing on the comm group, guys, God is faithful. God is coming through. Listen, God has done something in my heart. Why? Because God has given a joy. Because we will have trouble. It says, he doesn't say, when you find or maybe we'll face some trials. He says, when you face trials. So what is he saying? That it is coming. Jesus said to us, when you get married, you will have trouble. No. (laughs) Just want to check if you guys are awake. Jesus said that I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have cupcakes. Trouble. So you will have trouble. Things will get difficult. Sometimes it's going to be hard to shift your heart. Because we become hard. We become into a place of where we say, Lord, I don't want to change. I want to be hard because that person hurt me, so I'm going to hurt them back. But God wants to come. Jesus says, but take heart, for I have Overcome the world. No matter what happens to us, God is there. When trials come, Jesus helps us because our faith in Jesus builds us. And trials equal tests. So it tests us so that we can become maturing God. Someone's ringing. (laughs) It's God calling analog. You know what trials do? They disrupt your normal life. And it makes things uncomfortable. You know that God wants you to be uncomfortable? You know that in the book of Job, right in the beginning, the devil comes in with all the sons of God and the angels, and they come and they present themselves to God. And you know what happens? Satan didn't come, hey, God, have you checked out Job? No. No. God says, have you considered my servant, Job? So God allowed the testing of Job to happen. Do you know that God allows you to be tested? He allows trials in our lives because why? He wants to build us. He wants to make it uncomfortable so that we can shift. So what it does is, number one, it strips away other idols in our lives. What is an idol? Something that you make more important than God. One big idol in people's lives. Money. Lots of people struggle with smoking, drinking, watching stuff they shouldn't watch. Some people are even an idol. Facebook has even become an idol in people's lives. Because you're so interested, you can... This is the action that we do today, is that motion. Everyone does it so well. Have you ever noticed that one day I got somewhere and I think, I can't remember where I was, and I was doing something and I was working on this computer screen. And I took my finger and I pressed the screen and it didn't work. And I realized, oh yeah, it's not a touch screen. Because we become so used to scrolling that we will spend hours On Facebook, watching what happens in other people's lives and why God sends us and things and trials in our lives because he wants to break that thing in you. He wants to take the idols out so that he becomes everything. Number two is it reveals our own hearts to us. What's in your heart? Because when you go through a difficult time, who's the first one you should look at? Yourself. Not at the other person, at yourself. Number three, it reveals others' hearts as well. Number four, it reminds us that the whole world is a broken place and that Jesus is the only one that can bring healing. And it reveals our contribution. What we sow is what we reap. You know, that many times we are in the trials that we're in because we sowed it. Because we sit in a situation where someone starts talking about you and you get highly upset. But this person's skinnering about me. They're talking about me. But a week ago, you were talking about someone else. Because gossip is a big thing. It's a thing that can destroy people's lives. Because you go to someone and you say, did you hear? And I want to challenge us as a church, right now, here, tonight, if anyone comes to you and says, did you hear? You say to them, I don't want to hear. Let's go to the actual person you want to tell me about and let's deal with it. Because it's dangerous. Gossip is dangerous. Talking about other people is dangerous. If you don't know what's going on in their lives, rather don't say anything. Because we're quick to judge and quick to say, and we hurt people through it. Let's be careful. And number six, it helps us to focus on what really matters. What really matters in your life? Is your family most important? Is your job most important? Karine, you look confused. Many times we can fail the test in the way that we respond. A couple of months ago, Kim and I failed the test on something that God wanted to test in our hearts. And we failed it. But you know what? God had grace for us because we responded in completely the wrong way. And one guy sent me a message and it shifted my heart because I realized. I was like, okay, I get it. And sometimes people speak into our lives. They come and they share something with you and you get highly offended. But if you go and you actually shift your heart, you realize something. And there's different things in the way that we respond. And number one is the avoider. Who avoids conflict? Who, likes, who doesn't like to fight? Right? It's like, i will rather not say anything. i will rather run away from it. So we avoid the thing completely and we we close our eyes like the little girls. They close their eyes and they're like, if I don't see you, then you can't see me. Who's ever done that before? And you know what? It just grows. It becomes bigger. It becomes bigger. Number two is the fixer. I will make it right in my own strength. Who's a fixer? Who likes to fix it? Right? I want to make it better because... I think I can. So I'll find a way to fix it. And then we actually just make it worse. Number three, and I spoke about it this morning in Gerabou. You get the warrior who stabs someone with a sword and fights, and you get the warrior. A worry, and a quarry, and a warrior. And then we worry because we worry. Who's like that? My wife's like that. Because she worries because I'm not worried and then she worries because she's worrying and then she carries on worrying because she was worrying. And then she forgot why she was worrying and then she worries because she forgot what she was worrying about. Because we worry about things. Number four is the grinder. And it's not skateboard grinding, right? We're cheerlessly plodding along. The joy that is set before them, they endure at the cross. So what I mean by that is you get the guy that just plods along. It's my fate. It's how life goes. It's never going to be better. I'll just do it. I'll, I'll, come to, I'll come to church and I'll pack out the chairs because I'm on calm duty. Not because I want to, but because I have to. Yeah. Or this, this, this Friday morning prayer and, you know, I've got to, like, go because the elders are there and they're going to be mad at me, but I'll just go anyway. He's like that, sometimes plodding along. Now you guys are all hands down. Because sometimes we just plod along. But the Bible says that the joy that was set before them, they endured the cross. The disciples actually, when they went to get killed, they were happy. Imagine someone, you walking up and you know that in the next five minutes, you are no longer going to be on this earth. Are you going to be joyful? Or are you going to just be like, hmm, I don't know. But the Bible says they went and they took it with joy because it was the joy that was with them. I'm trying to get through my slides. I'm almost there. Number five is the blamer. They always play the victim. <laughs> my son's laughing because he knows. It wasn't me. It was them. It wasn't me. It was John Dre. John Dre you see, John Dre didn't do a good job. And now my floor is picking up and it's all bubbly. No, it's not. It's just I put in the floor and John just tried to help me and I didn't do a great job because I'm not a technical person. So when I walk in my lounge now, I'm like, ooh, I feel the waves whenever I walk in my lounge. It's fun. It's exciting. Okay. My wife's enjoying this. But we easily blame one another when we go through tough times in our marriages. When things don't go well between Kim and I, what is the thing Yeah you. You know that that women are like elephants they never forget. because like, you, you'll have a fight with your wife and you've been married for 15 years. I can check in. he's checking the ceiling because he knows and then and then <laughs> you've been married for 20 years okay so in 20 years wives will always remember what you did 20 years ago when you do something now they'll say remember then you did that but then the thing is is we always blame it's easy to blame adam and eve When God approached Adam, instead of Adam taking the responsibility and saying, Lord, I didn't actually teach my wife properly, he blamed Eve. This is the woman you gave me. And then Eve said, no, 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 it was the snake that did it. And the snake couldn't, he couldn't defend himself because he didn't have a leg to stand on. But the thing is, we easily blame. Number six is the martyr. You just live under the pressure until it kills you, and you've just accepted it. So I'll I'll take the blame for this. It's me. It's always just me. Because we do. Sometimes we try and play the martyr. And number seven is the rebel. Who remembers that song, Rebel Without a Cause? It was a movie or something. You guys remember that, Rebel Without a Cause? But for the younger guys, you won't know. It's a really old movie. Very old. (laughs) But many times we become rebellious in our hearts. When someone actually says and speaks into your life, I'm not going to do it. Why should I? Why should I come and serve on a Sunday? Because no one else is doing it, so I'm not doing it. I'm not going to change my heart because I didn't do anything wrong. And when we become rebellious, God cannot use us because you've closed yourself off to allow God to shift you. You guys with me still? All right, let's move on. But how do we pass the test? How do we? Number one is we need to rejoice when you're in it and find what you can learn from it. Number two, we need to know that Jesus suffered for you because Jesus went through everything that you're going through. Because the Bible says that that we're not tempted at all outside of what Jesus was tempted at. Because he went through the same things. He He went through worse things. Imagine there's no one with a really big beard here. So Lyle's, I think, is a bit longer than mine at the moment. Now, John is okay. And Evie is also quite there. But imagine the guys coming, taking deer and ripping your beard out. That's what Jesus went through. The Bible says that he was beaten so badly that people couldn't recognize him. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. Through our suffering and trials, we become more like Christ. When we pass the test, we graduate from that test. And then we know that there is another test coming. Because when you pass the one test, there's always the next test. Warren has been doing divorce recovery. And there's been tests that God has put in front of Warren. And there's things that Warren has to pass until God can move him on to the next thing. Because many times God wants us to pass that test, but we walk around the mountain, around and around and around and around and around because they're not willing to step into that thing and walk through it. Number five, we can minister to others and help them through the test because we've been there. Warren has been through a divorce. I'm using you, is that Okay. Warren's been through a divorce. It's, but I don't know what it's like to be divorced. But Warren knows because he's walked the journey. There's many of us. With having kids. Nolan and Maurice are a little bit more advanced in teenage years with teenagers than what we are. So what do we do? Guys, what do we do? How do we, how do we deal with it? Philip and Anilu has been married as long as God created the moon. And they've been through lots of battles. So why send someone that's struggling with their marriage to Evie and Terrine who just got married? Because they don't know yet. There's many things they don't know, but I'll rather send them to Philip and Anilu and be like, hey guys, how do we deal with this? How do we resolve conflict? How do I don't throw my husband with a pen? Or a pan at him. If I threw him with a pan, it would be a different story. We can rejoice with others. And in their trials and our trials, we can rejoice together. Because when you've gone through something, you can rejoice with someone else and say to him, even though it's tough, we'll help you through. Number seven is, seek wise counsel because a little tweak can make all the difference and Colin and Marion's not here but Lisa is here so Colin's got his own business and Colin came and sat with me the one day and we were talking and, and I said to him Colin do this change that and you know what God has been so faithful this week their turnover for their company has tripled In one week. I asked Colin, on Friday night at the market that was here, he sold 53 pieces of fudge or packets, 70, 73 or 76 pieces of fudge. On Friday night alone here. On the markets that he was down in Cape Town, he sold about the same amount. That's a lot of money. God is faithful. They've just had just over 5,000 rands permanent orders that guys have ordered fudge that have had to make. How many batches of fudge have your dad made? 25 batches of fudge in three days. We were there. My wife was was assistant, admin assistant. She was packing fudge to help them get the orders ready. Because all it needs sometimes is we just need a little bit of a tweak. Do it differently. Seek wise counsel. If you don't know, ask. Because sometimes we float around and we think, oh, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and you're sinking. It's like the German the Coast Guard. And there's this English ship that gets into trouble. And as they get into trouble, the guy radios, and it's a, it's a new German Coast Guard guy. And he's sitting there, and, and, the, and the, the, the British guy radios, and he says, Mayday, Mayday, we are sinking, we are sinking. And the German guy radios back and he says, What are you thinking about? <laughs> because sometimes we sink without us even knowing it. We store up treasures in heaven that cannot be destroyed. Because, like Philip said, you came into the world. But naked. You're going out. But naked. You can't take anything with you. It was paraphrased in my own way, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> but you came in with nothing, and you're going out with nothing. So we're building up treasures in heaven. And you know what those treasures are? Are the people that we take with us. My heart is one day when I stand before the Lord and you Oaks all join me at the end of the age or whenever that might happen. And God calls me up and he says, Yaku, how did you do with Hamonis? All you are sticking up your hands and saying, hey, we're here. Because Nolan and Yaku paid the price. You guys paid the price. All new salvations coming in, young guys, older people coming and giving their lives to the Lord before they die. It's going to be a testimony for all of us of what God's done with us. Number eight, it develops steadfastness. Because sometimes we jump around and we fall around. And number three, my last big point is, you've got to find wisdom through it. And James chapter 1 verse 4 to 8 says the following. to receive anything from the Lord, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. And James encouraged us to ask the Lord for wisdom, not knowledge, because knowledge is here. Wisdom is here. Knowledge encourage us, is the knowing is knowing the truth? Wisdom is knowing what to do with that knowledge. Number two, knowledge is theoretical. Wisdom is practical. Like Philip can tell me theoretically how to construct a building or how to make a road. He can give me all the the books. It can be theoretical knowledge. But over the years, Philip's got wisdom on what not to do. It's practical experience. And there's many of us here in this room that's got lots and lots and lots of experience, which is wisdom. You can have all the knowledge in the world without wisdom. It's useless. Knowledge fills libraries. Wisdom fills lives. Knowledge is truthful. Wisdom is useful. Knowledge provides information. Wisdom provides transformation. Knowledge tells you what, what you want to believe. Wisdom tells you how to behave. Knowledge finds the problem, but wisdom finds the solution. And in conclusion, don't respond to your hardship. Rather, respond to the Lord about your hardship. We can run from the pain, or we can run to God in our pain. The one creates instability, and the other creates steadfastness. Because all wisdom comes from the spirit of wisdom. And Ephesians 1 verse 17 says, I keep asking that the, Lord, uh, the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom. And revelation, so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us.